Hello and welcome to episode 55 of the Ohio Huntsman podcast. And on today's show, I really think you're going to like this one. I really enjoyed recording it. I learned a lot and we talk about taxidermy. So every basically everything you need to know to get a good mount and keep it looking good for years to come. So pre-planning, things you need to be, take into consideration before you even go into the woods, how to get your deer out of the woods safely without damaging the cape, how to get it to the taxidermist, things that you should be considering when picking a mount or, or how you want the ears positioned, all of that stuff. And then, like I said, how to keep it looking good for years and years and years, because it's all about the memory, right? Taxidermy is about preserving that memory and sort of reliving that hunt or that moment or that season every time you look at that mount and so you want to keep it looking good for years and years and years so like i said i really really enjoyed this one this will be a good one to listen to now as we're going into season and even refer back to in years to come right if you if you didn't get a deer you don't have any taxidermy yet come back to this one next season or refer your friends to it if if they're new to taxidermy or even if they're not new to taxidermy i think there's content in here that is valuable to to everybody i mean unless you're you've you know unless you're a taxidermist and you already know all of this or you've you've got tons of taxidermy and you've got a good taxidermist that's already told you all of this if that's the case then then maybe there's nothing in here for you other than the good stories but I really, like I said, I really learned a lot, and hopefully you guys are going to learn a lot as well. So before we get into that, I want to talk about Monster Whitetail Grub. They, I really appreciate them sponsoring this podcast. It means a lot to us. It helps us bring you guys these episodes, continue to bring you guys these episodes. And I actually just got back from one of the properties that I hunt, and I cleared out there's an old blind there, an old elevated blind there, and so it had been grown up in brush and everything, and I cleared that out because my plan is I'm going to take my three, soon-to-be four-year-old daughter with me hunting. She's super excited to go hunting this fall. I know she, I know it's not going to be a, quote, real hunt, right? That's not what it's about. It's about getting her outside, but even if we could see a deer, that would be awesome. So my plan is to take some monster whitetail grub deer feed out there a little bit before we plan to go out. I'm going to take her out there early season before it gets too terribly cold. And I'm going to use this monster whitetail grub to try and get some deer in front of the blind so she can at least see a deer. And maybe if, if by some stroke of luck, she lasts long enough out there for, for a deer to come by and, and we get a shot at it, that would be super cool. So I'm going to use monster whitetail grub because one, we've had really good success with the feed. It's not just corn. It does have some corn in it, but it's a, um, a, a like a texturized feed, right? So there's there's pelletized feed in there. There's corn. You can have additives like peanuts added into it, as well as like a long, what I call a long range attractant flavoring. So there's a bunch of different flavors. There's persimmon, there's white oak acorn, apple. I think there's a blackberry, lots of different flavors. And that sort of acts as a long-range attractant. And then the other thing it has is mineral in the feed. And so the mineral works down into the soil, and it keeps the deer coming back even after the physical feed is gone. So going to use it this season to, like I said, try to get a deer in front of the blind with my daughter and uh, 
it'll be her first time out there. So hopefully Monster Whitetail Grub can help us make that happen. And now we're going to talk taxidermy. And like I said, there's a lot of good information in there. And a little sneak peek, Dustin, who is the taxidermist that we interview on this one, gives us a, uh, what do I want to call it? Like a pro tip or a uh, industry trade secret. Maybe that's what I want to call it. A trade secret on how to keep your taxidermy looking fresh and, and revitalize it or revitalize old mounts. And so he, he divulges a product in this one that they use and uh, that alone is worth the price of admission. I did put a link in the show notes to that product to make it easy for you guys to find. So stay tuned. We're going to get into the episode right now. Welcome to the Ohio Huntsman Podcast, where three brothers, Jason, Jacob, and Jeff, discuss all things hunting in Ohio. Our goal is to be your source for accurate and reliable hunting news and conservation issues in the great state of Ohio, as well as some fun and interesting conversations along the way. This is the Ohio Huntsman Podcast. Are you listening? All right, on today's show, we've got Dustin Kaismore of Back to Nature Taxidermy. And I, I want to start off by thanking you for taking time out of your schedule to jump on the podcast and talk to us. Um, I suspect this is probably the calm before the storm. I don't know how, you know, I guess there's seasons opened in other states, but uh, here in Ohio, we're, we're anxiously waiting on season to open. So yes, thank you we certainly are. Yeah, absolutely. No problem. Uh, like you and I had discussed previously, it's just, this is, this is something I like to talk about with guys because I, I just don't feel like it's a topic that is really out there in a lot of different, uh, ways. And, you know, we get so many customers come into our shop and I'm sure this is universal, you know, throughout the state, the country, anywhere where guys like to have their deer mounted for the wall that, you know, you just don't think about prior to the hunt what happens if you get that trophy down that, you know, you want to immortalize on the wall. And there are so many things that, you know, you as the hunter can do to maximize the potential of your shoulder mount, make it look as good as possible before it ever even gets to the taxidermist that, you know, it's, it's just something that I think that guys could benefit from. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I really appreciate you reaching out to us with this. Cause I agree. This is, I know this happened to me in, uh, 2017 we got we got drawn for a, a parks hunt shot a really good buck and then it was like uh, now what I've, I've never had a taxidermy mount done you know so this is sort of near and dear to my heart and so mm-hmm. for the listeners basically we're going to go through from uh the pros point of view what are some <clears throat> best practices for handling your taxidermy or, or handling your deer in the field to maximize your taxidermy output, your outcome. And, exactly. uh, yeah, just sort of set you up for success with your, with your mount. So yes. to get started, I guess, let's talk about why people get a mount. What are some reasons that people decide, you know what, I'm going to have a mount, whether it's a shoulder mount, um, a full body mount, like why do people decide they want to get some taxidermy? Well, this is, uh, you know, it's an interesting point because I think that a lot of people out there, you know, 
particularly new hunters or, you know, maybe even more experienced, but, you know, we see what media puts out and the, the you know, it's, it's all about these big giant deer that celebrity hunters on TV kill and, you know, inches of antler is the single most important thing or maturity level, you know, the deer has to be a certain right. age. Um, and, and I think that gives a lot of people a false impression of what a trophy truly is. And, you know, we tell every one of our customers that come through our shop that that is in the eyes of the beholder. Um, there are several reasons why you would want to get a deer monitor, why you should be proud to put it on your wall. And that doesn't just necessarily mean that it is a big buck. Uh, you know, the personal accomplishment of killing your your first deer. I, I would love to tell you how many button bucks we have done for just, you know, young kids that yep. it's their first year or a woman that goes out and, and you know what, they make beautiful shoulder mounts. They really yeah. do. And if, if there's, you know, if, if it's got that sentiment to the individual and it has that, you know, it, it was your jump into hunting, uh, you know, the first deer you killed with a longbow, there, there are just a myriad of reasons that it is a personal accomplishment that, you know, that you would want to get one. So that's one reason. Um, well, and I think, uh, I guess to jump in here, I think I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, that, that word trophy, right. That, that has a lot of, yeah. um, sub connotation, especially with the non-hunting public. Right. And so right. I think it's important to, to point that out. A, a trophy is in the eye of the beholder. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, you could not even get a deer or, or get an animal, but it could be a, just a trophy experience, right? It was just something about that hunt or that trip that that was now that doesn't lead to taxidermy but but right just talking about that word trophy right there there's it's more than just uh, you know the the i think there's this uh, sometimes this sentiment in the non-hunting public that trophy hunting is this evil thing where you just want the antlers or the horns and everything else is left to rot and that's that's not the case at all right absolutely not and and you know it as you get more experienced in it, obviously a a bigger animal, you know, as we know, and, and most of the listeners do that, you know, have hunted for a while, you know, there's a certain level of difficulty that comes with killing a bigger buck or an older buck or one that's, you know, managed to elude someone for so long. So that, that in itself is what makes it the trophy. So the size is a byproduct of the level of difficulty of the hunt. Um, so for people that don't understand what a trophy is, there's so much more behind it, as you had just stated. But um, like you had talked about the story, uh, you know, being out there, having the experience, that could be something else that could also lead to a mount. If this is a hunt that, say, you know, you, you took with your grandpa, who's in his 80s, as mine is, you know, and he doesn't have much more time or maybe he hasn't been out in a few years yep. and you get to go do something like that. Share it with one of your kids for the first time, or, you know, there's a thing, there's something like that that goes with, you know, that sense of personal accomplishment that adds to the story. And when you have that hanging on the wall, I mean, I, you know, we have done literally thousands of shoulder mounts and I have, probably a dozen or so of my own bucks, but every single one that I sit, I can sit at any given time and look at that mount and every single detail of that hunt just comes flooding back to you when you look at it. And it just, it, you know, it enhances the experience and, and keeps it 
fresh in your mind basically forever. And that's, that's yeah. an important aspect of it. Yeah. We, we, uh, we actually just lost our grandfather. Um, I did too. <laughs> two, oh, what was it, Jeff? Two weeks ago now. Oh, I'm sorry. To and hear that. I, yeah, yeah, I think it's two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we, we hunt out at his farm. And, and so I, you know, when you mentioned that, it was like, boy, that, you know, we've been chasing some deer out there and never really, you know, connected with anything, but you know, there's like this, um, I don't know, added sentiment this year to spend time out at grandpa's farm. And, and if, if one of us would be lucky enough to, to get a deer out there, I, w- I would imagine it's going to lead to some sort of, uh, mount because of that. Right, you're, you're, There'll absolutely. be that emotional, right. That, that mm-hmm. was the year that grandpa passed away and, and it'll, like you said, it'll sort of immortalize that memory, that, that time and that place, you know? Yes. So. Yes, for sure. Yep. A great reason. And it doesn't have to be the biggest buck on the farm or the best one, you know, that you've ever taken. It's just right. the, fact that you're out there and you're doing that and you have that memory and it it just you know it all adds to an experience and you know to have that like i said on the wall it just it it keeps the memory fresh it keeps it alive yeah yeah so that's we sort of covered uh, you know a a lot there on why you would get a mount right that Mm -hmm. there's there's history there there's some sort of emotion there like uh like i said that that deer I got in 2017 that we would never have forgotten that hunt even without the, the mount but like right. we, we we had a hellacious drag on that 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 <laughs> deer about killed us we you know looking back we probably should have quartered that deer up in the woods yeah. it was parks hunt we weren't sure if we were allowed to do that you know it was uh-huh. uh, so it about killed us and but now every time I walk by that deer I you know I just remember that like it was it was brutal right. but you know, so it's, it's taxidermy is one of those things that again, like the non-hunting public, they might look at it and go, boy, that's a weird thing that hunters do. But, but to right. us hunters, right. It, it's special. It's a memory. It's a way to remember that experience, right. that animal, whatever it is. And, uh, they just, right. look. <laughs> you know, and that's, yeah, that, that brings to mind a story of uh we don't really do it anymore but you know we used to do uh trade shows we would do like the deer and turkey expo we had a booth down there one year and one year we did our local county fair which obviously is not entirely a group of hunters and a woman as she walked by her comment was oh what a lovely wall of death and and my response to her was no this is a wall of life this is celebrating the life of an animal that lived its life as it was supposed to, you know, it wasn't raised in a pen for the purpose of being consumed. This, this deer, or, you know, it lived its life as a deer is supposed to, and it died the life that a deer is supposed to. So, you know, this is a celebration of life in, at least in my perspective, you know, I mean, I think that's, it's a positive way to look at it. And that's what it is. I mean, it's, you're, you're immortalizing the animal that otherwise would just fade into obscurity in the natural environment and i think that's right. you know that's something great that we can do as human beings if we're gonna go down this road of being outdoorsmen which yeah. obviously i have every intention of doing <laughs> so. yeah yeah jeff were you gonna say something there well i was just gonna say uh, i never really thought about it but it is 
to an outsider probably is pretty weird putting, you know, a, a dead animal on the wall. Like, I never really thought about it. Right. But, you know, to someone who isn't used to it, it is kind of weird. Why would you want dead things in your house? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I I would agree. I mean, you know, there, there are things that, you know... I, you know, just the perspective of an anti-hunter. That's something that I will never understand. I can respect it. I, I mm-hmm. absolutely can. And I would, you know, just hope for the same courtesy from from someone on the other side of the fence, which, you know, we don't necessarily always see. But, yeah. right. but like I said, I mean, it's just, you know, it's just a different way of looking at things. And like I said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give up any of my shoulder mounts for anything in the world. You know, they're very prized possessions to me, obviously, because of all of that reasons that we earlier mentioned and it doesn't have anything to do with the size of the antlers uh it's it's more about the memories the experiences and you know a way to a way to look at that yeah yeah okay so from there i want to talk about uh pre-planning the hunt right because like i said i was unprepared in my in my scenario right? right so you know, I, we may have done a number of things wrong. Um, so maybe you can tell us where we went wrong, where we went right. Um, and things that you should be thinking about before the hunt. So when you're looking for a taxidermist, you know, maybe you don't have one specifically picked out per se, but, but what should people be looking for when they're looking for a taxidermist? Okay. Um, uh, you know, this is this is a good uh, thing to do beforehand. Obviously, guys don't want to, you know, be presumptive and think, oh, I'm going to go out there and kill that trophy deer. I don't want to sound overconfident. I don't want to look at this. But, you know, we all, I think we've all got kids. And obviously, you knew who the doctor was going to be in the delivery room long right. before that child was born. So this is kind of like a similar type of thing. You know, if, if you're going to hunt and you ever think that there's a potential that you would want to put a deer on the wall, then it's probably a good idea that you get an idea of who you think that you might want to take that deer to, you know, well before you even maybe set foot in the woods on that hunt, or you even know that that deer exists that you want to put on the wall. And as far as finding the right taxidermist, I think that the things that would probably the best to look at would be um, well, one location, you know, you might not want to drive clear across the state to find a taxidermist because I'll be the first to admit there are plenty of us out there and, you know, several are just as good as the next, you know, and the way you can look at that is there are organizations out there. There's the professional taxidermists of Ohio. There's the Ohio taxidermists association, um, and they have competitions. So there are awards that exist out there that, you know, you could do your research and you could find that if this person is at a competition level, which might be something that you want. Um, you know, another thing is word of mouth. If, if a guy is good, then, you know, your fellow hunters are going to talk about that guy and they're going to recommend that guy. And I think that that might be one of the most valuable pieces of information that you can use is if you, if you have a buddy that has got four or five heads on the wall and consistently kills the type of deer that he wants to put on the wall, he's not going to take him to a cut rate guy a second time if he's not happy with the work. So if he's consistently using the same taxidermist, then that might be somebody that you want to look at. And then, you know, finally is what is in your budget. But, you know, I will use, I would use caution there because 
they're on both ends of the spectrum. There could be somebody that is just charging a ridiculously high amount that doesn't necessarily put out the quality of work, or there might be somebody that is, you know, a discount taxidermist, but their work might reflect that. So, you know, those are all just things that you want to kind of keep in mind. And like I said, that's something that you should probably do well beforehand so that you have an idea of who you need to contact should you have the type of success that you're looking for. Right. Okay. Yeah. When, when you're like, I'm going to use the word interviewing a taxidermist, is there, is there questions you should be asking? Like, I don't know about what process they use or, you know, is there, is there questions you should be asking? Uh, in the past, there have been, uh, preservation methods of the hides that maybe weren't quite as good as other ones. And I'm, I'm going to throw this out there. Um, you know, there's the actual full-on liquid tanning of a hide, and then there's also a type of powder preservative, a dry preservative that taxidermists use. And in the past, there was kind of a stigma against that powder, but that's not something that you need to concern, be concerned with anymore, because it's like anything else. The technology has advanced so far that that in itself isn't something. Um, maybe if you're going to go look at their work, um, take a look at some of the mounts, ask how old they are. You know, I, I know for one, you know, in our shop, we've been doing this for 25 years now, I think. And it's it's a family business. My parents started it. They still work on it. I work to help them. And, you know, we have shoulder mounts in our showroom that are 25 years old that I would give anybody a free shoulder mount if they could come in and pick out which one was the oldest one. Because, you know, you want, obviously, this is something that you want to last as long as it possibly can. So, you know, see, mm -hmm. see how long they've been in the business, see how, you know, roughly how many deer they do. Ask about turnaround time, see how long they're going to have your mount or how long they're going to have your deer. Um, you know, questions like that are going to give you an idea of if they are keeping customers satisfied, if they're doing repeat business. You know, if, if they're not doing that many deer or it's taking them a long time to get them back to the guys, then, you know, there might be an issue there. But it also might be that they only want to do a fewer and they want to do a really quality job on them. So those are just the kind of things that you want to feel out, you know, as you're as you're talking to them. Okay. Okay. So so let's say we've got a a taxidermist in mind now. We've we've taken that advice. We've done some pre-screening. We've we've got an idea. So now, as far as the hunt goes, what are some things that you need to be taking into consideration? when you know before you step foot into the woods to go hunt as far as uh preparation for if you for sure. were to get a, a deer down right okay now this is you know this is where the real bread and butter of the conversation is going to take place because this is how you're going to get the best looking mount how you can take the best care of your deer but i will backtrack for a second and say you know let's go back to that last step and you've picked out that taxidermist the tips that i'm going to give are you know general and I think any taxidermist would probably be on board with them. But if you have one picked out and you're getting ready to go, then maybe it's time to ask them what they personally would prefer, um, you know, so that they have the best product that they want to work with. But I think that the tips that I have come up with and, you know, the ideas that I've looked at are, are going to generally be accepted by just about anybody because it's just about taking good care of the animal. Okay. So that's, that's good advice though, that, yeah. Talk to the guy that you're actually going to be having yeah. doing the work. So that's, yeah. that's good advice. 
for sure. So, okay, so now moving forward, you know, let's say we're getting ready to go out on a hunt. And, you know, one of the first things we need to look at, of course, is, you know, what time of the season is the hunt that we're going on? Is this, is this going to be an early season hunt where it has the potential to be 80 degrees out during the day? Are we going to be in camp for three or four days or are we just going down for the afternoon? Um, you know, is it a late season where this deer has the potential to freeze solid while we're out there? You know, these are all things that we need to think about before we go. And then we're going to have to plan according to that. Um, probably one of the biggest issues is, you know, obviously with a problem that we would have would be warm weather. Um, a warm gun season can ruin a lot of deer and, you know, an early season buck that we get in, you know, just a few days without being properly cared for and the hide could potentially be ruined and, you know, that's going to ruin your mount. So if we're packing for a hunt that we're going to be out for a few days or it's exceptionally warm, um, one of the biggest things, this is, this is probably like the single biggest thing that we push on guys is if you're taking a cooler with you and you have space in that cooler, you have the opportunity to do it beforehand. Instead of buying bags of ice, Fill gallon jugs, like milk jugs, just buy water, whatever, and freeze it at home in a freezer so that you have a block of sealed ice to take with you. For one, block ice doesn't have the surface area of a bag of ice, so it's not going to thaw as quickly, and it's self-contained, so the water is not going to leak out. So let's say you've got a buck on the ground, or a deer for that matter, you know, we mount those too, they're all trophies, just like we discussed, yep. subjective yep. to the hunter. Um, and, and you think you're going to want to get it mounted. You, obviously, it's warm out. You get it field dressed as quickly as possible. You put that block ice in that deer that's contained. Now, you don't have that water leaking out into the inside of the animal. Uh, you know, any type of animal's cells on the cellular level are going to absorb water. So I, we have seen so many deer that guys will shove bags of ice in. And then they'll hang them up by their rear legs, as most of us do when we've got a deer field dressed and we've got it. And all that water from that ice will drain down into the head and it will swell a deer's head up three or four times the size of what it was. Oh, before. Wow. It's not, it, it, it's, it doesn't ruin it if, if it's taken care of soon enough, but it does make for a, a serious mess. And, you know, this is just overall, I mean, overall care of your deer to even get it to the processor. You, you put a, a gallon jug of frozen water of ice in there, and as it slowly starts to work itself thawed, it's still contained. So right. you put one or two of those in a deer, wrap it in a tarp, take a tarp with you, a, a heavy canvas tarp if you can. And you've essentially built yourself a cooler for that animal. And, you know, it's, it's going to keep it chilled to a point where you know, depending on the ambient temperature of the air, you could buy yourself a day or two before you have to get it to a processor or a cooler or, or somebody that's going to keep it chilled like that. So that, that block ice, that's a big one. And okay. just being able to have it, we don't even recommend you hang a deer up. If you got a field dress, you got block ice in it, you got it wrapped up, just leave it lay on a concrete floor out of the sun. It'll keep it cool. That's going to enable you to get it where you need to get it and be in the best shape that it can be in. And one, one thing I want to mention, maybe everybody's aware of this, but when you're field dressing, you don't want to open that hide all the way up to the neck or something, right? You want to stop at the, uh, like that sternum bone, right? Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's what, uh, 
that's what I would recommend to anybody is just, you know, when, when you feel dress, you know, you want to keep that cut minimal. Um, for a shoulder mount, you know, we take down a lot further than you would think. So you definitely don't want to get into that brisket area. Um, that's another one of those things that, you know, we'll get a lot of deer that guys will take clear up into the brisket. And as long as that cuts straight, it can be repaired. But, you know, we're, we're talking about things here that you want to do because you want that mount to be the best one that it can possibly be. So right. the less sewing, the better, of course. So you're, you're hundred percent right. You get up to that, to that brisket, that chest bone, the sternum plate, and, and that's where you want to stop, and, you know, kind of reach up in there and get what you need to get out without going much further than that. All right. So we're keeping in, in early season when, when it's got the potential to be warm, or even like you said, mm-hmm. if it's a warm gun season, right. The biggest concern is getting it cooled down without soaking sure. it in ice water. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You definitely don't want it to get any more saturated than it has to be. And, and as I had stated about the block ice and the surface area and everything, I mean, it's overall, it's just going to work better for you because it's not going to melt as quickly and it, it just it lasts so much longer it's reusable then you can refreeze it it's it just comes down to having the opportunity to be able to do that you know just make a little bit of extra room in your freezer if you can do one or two gallons before you're going to go on the hunt and then just throw them in the cooler and take it with you and and that's really a practice that would apply not even to just taxidermy but just to hunting in general is something that i recommend guys do i mean you're just you're going to you know keep your deer much better and reduce the risk of spoiling if you do that okay okay so so are there any recommendations or best practices for getting a deer out of the woods? Are, are you risking doing any harm by dragging the deer or are there any concerns there? Sure. Yeah, for sure. And, and we get a lot, um, we get a lot of deer every year that we're drug excessively rough on the shoulder area, um, across rocks you know, hard ground or, you know, even the concrete or the gravel driveway, once you get it out of the woods and what'll happen is the hair, uh, as I'm sure, you know, that especially in the late season, a deer's hair is actually hollow. So once they get broken off at that point and some of that blood starts to absorb in there, it's, it's going to be very noticeable in the mount. And that's one of the things that, you know, even though we can go ahead and do the mount on your deer, that's, seriously going to negatively affect the quality of the mount. It's going to be something that's going to be noticeable. So that's where that tarp can come into play. You know, even if you wrap the deer in the tarp and drag it out that way, uh, using a cart is obviously a great idea. Um, putting it on the ATV, uh, you never want to put a rope around their neck. That's a big thing. Um, once, yeah, once that rope burns into that hair and breaks that hair, that line is, is there it's, it's not coming out and it will be noticeable. So, you know, just avoid, even if you're strapping them down to the quad, you know, getting straps too tight anywhere up above the shoulders. Um, yeah, just, just take as good a care to keep the hair pattern, you know, which flows from, you know, the head back to the shoulders on a deer, just keep that hair pattern intact and just keep it away from anything that's going to cause it undue stress. Okay. Um, is, dirt or mud any kind of a concern or or does that kind of wash out pretty easily in the in the tanning process yeah most of the time that just you can brush that out it washes out you know if we get one that's exceptionally bad you we can wash the hide in dawn dish soap before we go okay. through the process of tan or preserving and mounting it um to get that kind of stuff out blood is uh, blood is not good um 
you know, so if, if you got rags, you know, you got access to water, you can keep that stuff out of the hair. Just wipe it down, keep it wiped out. For the most part, it will come out too. Um, like I said, as long as the actual structure of that hair is intact, most of that stuff is just, you can take care of that pretty easily. Okay. Now, is there, and I know you can't speak for all taxidermists, but is there, is there ever a scenario where the hunter has abused the hide enough to where a taxidermist is just going to say, I'm sorry, but I, I just can't, I can't fix this. I can't, I guess, obviously if you, if you cut it all up real bad, right, there's no sewing it back together, but like, um, uh, I guess, have you guys ever said to, you know, to a potential customer, like, I'm sorry, but this thing is just in too bad a shape. There's, we can't do anything with it. It, it happens all the time. I mean, that's, okay. it, it's very common for that to happen. Um, I, I mean, without getting too specific on the story of gun season here, about 10 years ago, we had a guy bring us a deer and it was a, an exceptionally warm gun season. I think it was, you know, highs over 60 almost every day of the season. And it was the last day of season. And he brought us just a beautiful buck. I mean, it was a perfectly typical 12 point and then it had matching drop times on both sides. I mean, it was one of the the nicest deer that we had and he brought it in already you know the deer was skinned so it was just a head with the hide attached in a garbage bag and as soon as he sat it down on the shop floor we knew i mean it was it was rotten and we asked him when he had killed the deer and he had shot it on the first day of gun season and driven around with it in the back of his van all week long and it was it was rotten now what what we do and and what a lot of taxidermists do is you know Obviously, we're going to inform the customer of the situation, but we are fortunate with our business that we work with a lot of local processors, and if they get a buck in that the, their customer is not going to have mounted and they know that, then we will go and we will skin that head for a mount. We will cape that deer out, and we take all the measurements and we file it as you know, the guy that harvested it per the state records that we need with his tag number and everything. But we can use that as a, as an extra cape. We can replace the hide on that deer if the customer so chooses. Oh, so, okay. so that option does exist. Now you'll hear guys talk about, oh, well, maybe I could just use this doe that I killed. And that does not work. Um, you know, one of the measurements that we take on a, on a buck to make sure that we get the right size form for the deer is around the neck at the jawline directly behind the ears and a good three and a half year old Ohio buck will average during the rut 21 inches around that measurement. Probably the biggest doe that I've ever seen at that same time of year might be 14 inches. So, oh, wow. yeah, so big difference. yeah, it's a huge difference, but you know, in our business and I know, you know, other taxidermists around do the same thing and, and, you know, you just legally obtain those hides during the season. Now, you know, I do, you know, we do, we see 200 plus deer a year through our shop. And to me, I notice more so the different features in the face of a deer than anything, but you know, as far as the hair patterns go, the amount of white in their muzzle, where the black is, things like that are things that I, I tend to notice. But as a customer, you know, if, if, if circumstances beyond your control or just, you know, neglect happen, you know, the option exists 
to still get that animal mounted and it's still going to be your antlers and nobody that ever comes in is going to know that it's not the hide that came off of that deer. Um, sure. so, so that does, that, that option absolutely exists. And that's definitely something that we have to do, you know, at least a few times a year. Okay. Well, that's, uh, good for us hunters to know, you know, don't, uh, don't right. screw it up. <laughs> hey, yeah. 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 You, you don't want to, but you know, in a worst case scenario and another instance where I can tell you that that definitely comes into play is say you made a marginal shot and it's three or four days before you find that deer, which uh, yeah. you know, is, a, is, a, is a terrible scenario for any of us, but it does happen. And whether the coyotes have gotten to it or the weather was just too bad, you know, for it to still be intact at that point, you know, you go ahead and you tag that deer and you have that set of antlers and, you know, oh, I hunted this deer for two or three years or I've got this story, I've got this history with it. I still want to put it on the wall in that way. That option will, that option does exist. I want to pause here briefly to talk about our sponsor, Mastin's Deer Sense. So Mastin's Deer Sense is a premium scent company, deer scent company. And I say they're a premium deer scent company because one of the things they do to ensure high quality product is they collect all of their scents on stainless steel. So a lot of the other a lot of the other scent companies will actually collect on concrete. And so you get, you know, if you know anything about concrete, concrete can be porous and you can get a lot of impurities and off scents and, and weird things in it. The other thing is because they're small, it they're not the deer aren't accustomed to these scents. Right, I, I think I have a hunch that a lot of the big name popular scents get used so much that the deer kind of get familiar with those scents and learn that that's not a deer, that's a hunter over there trying to smell like a deer. So that's another big benefit of them. And the thing that I like the most is the prices are, are really, really good. You're basically getting four ounces of Mastin scent for the price that you pay for two ounces of a lot of the other big name scents. So it's a high quality product. The price is good and it's more of a specialty thing because it's not, uh, because they're not huge, right? That's in my eyes, that's a benefit. So I'm really looking forward to trying some of their stuff this fall and I hope you will too. They support the podcast, which allows us to continue to bring these episodes to you guys. So I would really appreciate it if you would check them out. If you're looking at using Sense this fall, there'll be a link in the description, and you can buy right from their website, MastinsDeerSense.com. And now, back to the episode. Another question I had, what if you have a marginal shot or you, you know, the only shot opportunity, you know, you, you shoot it through the neck or mm-hmm. straight into the chest? Is that right. something that you guys can repair and, or, you know, does that kind of ruin it? No, there, that, that's most nine, I would say 95% of the time that's repairable. Um, okay. you know, particularly during firearm season, you know, you get a lot of deer that are shot forward of the shoulders and, mm-hmm. you know, they've got a slug hole in them. And to be, you know, completely honest, as far as sewing goes, it's actually easier to repair a broadhead hole in the neck than it is a shotgun slug because the shotgun slug is round. So you actually have mm-hmm. to cut it into a, like a football shape so that it doesn't pucker at the ends when you sew it. Whereas a broadhead hole can literally just be pieced back together and okay. you, you just sew it up the exact way it went in and you know, you're none the wiser. It just, 
you know, it just comes down to making sure that that, and you know, you got to be good at sutures to hide that kind of stuff. But it's absolutely, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you haven't ruined a deer if you make that shot. You know, that hits forward of the shoulders. We can we can work with that almost all every scenario. Okay. So we talked about warm, um, and you mentioned freezing temperatures. So are there are there concerns or things that you need to be taking into account if the deer has a potential to freeze or or the hide has a potential to freeze before you can get it to a taxidermist? I will just say that that's kind of a scenario that's out of your hands. Um, you know, take care of the field dressing. M- maybe just kind of get it positioned before it freezes in a way that's easy for you to transport. Um, in, in our particular business, we do, we will offer skinning services when needed. You know, if you have a whole deer and you don't have a processor to take it to, you're not comfortable doing the skinning yourself. We, we have a facility where we can skin. And if we get one that's late like that and it's frozen in the legs or it's frozen solid, we literally will just bring it in the shop and let it thaw for however long it takes before we skin it yeah. out. And, and that's what I would hope that a processor would do if you took it to a good processor, because skinning a frozen deer for a mount is next, well, skinning a frozen deer in general is next to impossible. But, you know, to do it for a mount, particularly without cutting into the hide and, and doing damage like that is difficult. So, yeah, uh, aside from, you know, taking it in the cabin with you at night <laughs> when you're done with the hunt, there's really not a lot you can do with that other than just, like I said, trying to make sure that you get it somewhere as soon as possible to get it taken care of. Okay. Um, so, and maybe this is, uh, well, I'm going to go there. I was going to, you know, we talked about skinning there. We mentioned that would, that's what spurred this thought. So are there, when you're skinning a deer, you know, say, cause what we typically do is, is get the deer quartered up, you know, skin them out, mm-hmm. quarter them up, get them in a cooler, get the meat in a cooler. Right. And then when we get them back home from the cabin or whatever, you know, we, we, either take the meat to a processor or do the processing ourselves. Right. When you're skinning, is there a, I know there's things that you can do wrong, but the question I'm having, or I want to ask you is, can you, when pulling on the hide, can you like stretch the hide or, or, or throw the hide out of dimensions or, or, or anything like that? Is there any concern of pulling too hard on the hide aside from like ripping the hide, but, can you stretch the hide or, or do something to it there while you're skinning? Yeah, you're <clears throat> you're not going to do any damage that way. Okay. I mean, if it if, if you're and you know if it's separating from the body of the deer when you're pulling, you're not damaging the hide. Um, it'll. I, I'm sure you've skinned plenty of deer, and you know that yeah. you'll meet with resistance before you'll do that damage, and you'll have to get the knife out. Um, yeah. You know, the big thing is just cutting holes. You know, you want to be extra cautious if you're skinning the deer yourself that you don't cut any holes because, like I said, they can be sewn, of course, but we're, you know, we're here to discuss the best ways to make that thing look as good as it possibly can. And, you know, we're trying to avoid all of that type of stuff. So it's just be cautious with your knife. Um, We might as well just go ahead and segue into that. Let's just say that you are going to skin the deer yourself for for a shoulder mount. It really isn't that difficult. Um, if you've ever skinned a deer, you can skin one for a shoulder mount. There are just a, a few really basic steps. And 
I think I can explain them in an audio format where the <laughs> listeners will understand. But yeah. if not, and I've never checked, and it's been my intention to make one for the last few years, but I haven't, but to make a YouTube video to explain this, and I'm, I'm sure there are hundreds of them out there. I've never really looked, but you know, to just go ahead and explain as we're here you know, talking. We, we discussed not going up past that uh, sternum plate, the chest bone, yep. when we're doing the field dressing. So when we are skinning a deer for a shoulder mount, what we want to do is on the front legs of the deer between the knee joint and the hoof. So, you know, about halfway down the leg to the hoof, you're going to want to make an incision all the way around there on both front legs. And then you're going to look, if you've ever looked at a deer and if not, the next time you get one down, just take a look at it. They have almost every deer, unless of course it's like a piebald or an albino, which would be the exception of the rule the the hair on the inside of the front legs is white and then of course it's like the natural tannish brown on the outside and that yeah. that hair meets at the very back of the front leg facing the rear of the animal so we've made that cut below the knee around the leg and then we're going to just follow that hair pattern that difference in the hair color down the front leg of the deer right into its armpit and then we're just going to make a v cut back to where we stopped that field dress on both sides okay? okay so now so now we've done that now we've separated you know the back the rear legs whatever you do back there that's fine just leave the whole hide intact go ahead and hang it up we talked about pulling it down you can pull it down past that point now and just carefully skin down um this is one of those things where you would want to talk to your taxidermist beforehand but in in our line of work the type of measurements that we take are off of the head of the deer itself and like i said that one around the base of the neck so we only need three or four inches of neck meat in there. So the further down you can get it skinned to that neck without cutting any holes, you know, only go as far as you're comfortable and then just go ahead and remove that. Now you've got the head and the whole hide and you've got those front legs skinned down. The worst thing you can do is go straight across the inside of the legs and just meet like a T, like you would skin a cow if you were a butcher. Um, what you've done there is you've essentially severed the back of the armpit off and that actually is part of the mount, even though it might not look up like it when you're skinning. And once that is gone, then there's not much you can do. You've you've cut it too short. Okay, so I got a I got a I guess a follow up question there. So you said when you're when you're dealing with the the head, right? You've got it skinned down. Mm-hmm. You want to you you want to have a few vertebrae left on there so that you can get that neck yeah. dimension that you don't want yes. to take it all the way up to where the the last vertebrae meets the skull yes exactly and and you know we deal with a couple processors that that's just how they do it they take it all the way to the skull and they take it right at the vertebrae which hey props to them because that means they're really good at what they do and they're maximizing their product for their customer um and and there are ways that we can kind of guesstimate that measurement uh, based on, you know, what the other measurement we take is from the tip of the deer's nose before it's skinned to the front corner of its eye, like to its tear duct. Um, based on that measurement, we can kind of get a pretty good idea of what size this deer's neck was to get the proper form for it. But, you know, without that few inches, it's not going to be as accurate, but we can still get it done. Um, and like I said, other taxidermists, there are other measurements that form companies use, but they always seem to fall in line with those first two measurements that I had mentioned. But, you know, your taxidermist might want more neck. 
So that's one of those things that goes back to once you find that guy, you find out what he wants. Okay. So that's one area where on mine, I screwed up because I took it all the way down and I had no vertebrae left. I took it all the way down and severed it where that last vertebrae met the skull. Right. So I made it harder for, and like I said, in the beginning of this, I had no planning. I didn't even have it. You know, I was calling around like, oh, you got any availability? Can you do it? Right. Can you do a mount, you know? (laughs) Right. So, okay. That's, that's good advice. So around the lower leg, follow the, the white to brown hair line up into the armpit and then V into where the, um, yeah, field dress towards, incision. Yes, ended. back towards the field dress, back towards you know, like the deer's stomach area. Okay. So, another question about the neck: Do you, how do you guys, when when you're doing the caping, mm-hmm. you you want some of that neck left on there? Are you actually cutting in and just using a knife to to separate those vertebrae, or are you using a saw? How are you making that? cut through the meat then at that point once you've got it skinned out so we use scalpels uh you know with throwaway blades uh to make sure and i i can you know get a couple heads out of a scalpel blade but that's just an aside for how i try and save money where i can but um what we do is we make a, a it's like a y shaped incision from the base of each antler once we've taken our measurements and then we just follow that just far enough back to be able to actually clear the hide around the backside of the deer's head and then take it down from there towards the mouth and the nose and take it off that way. So once we do the mount, um, part of the process is you have the form, you fit the antlers on there, make sure that they're right the way you want them, then you actually take them back off, you pull the hide on, put the antlers back in there, and then you sew that incision up. Now we have some tricks of the trade that we do to make sure that that incision stays down and is not noticeable, even though it's on the backside of the head when you have them out on the wall, but I won't divulge those secrets here. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> so <laughs> fair enough. Um, I guess I was more asking, how do you get the head off of the deer? Okay. All right. Let me, let me backtrack then and I'll, I'll explain that a little more clearly. Okay. So, Behind the ears, base of the antlers. Uh-huh. All right. So we're going to make an incision, and it's going to be a Y towards the, the back, towards that vertebrae where the skull meets the vertebrae. We're making a Y, like a line from okay. each antler. Okay. Okay. And then, we, then we're going to take that line down, like following the spine, until we clear where you cut that, cut that deer off when you skinned it. Okay. All right. Now you're skinning around the neck, you're skinning down the inside of the ears, and you've actually created an opening to where you can bring the the skull out the back of that incision as you skin down towards the nose and the mouth. Okay. So now you've actually pulled it out the back of the hide. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. You following me? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's just it's just a small incision. Um, you know, if you if you've only left a vertebrae or two, so we can get that measurement, we can keep that incision around six inches. But that's enough of an opening that as we skin down through the bases of the ears and towards the back of the eyes, that you're just slowly working that hide down the skull towards the nose and the mouth until you've got the whole antlers, skull and all, 
right out the back of that hide. Okay. Nah. Okay. So do you generally like that? Cause that part of the, the skinning I didn't do. Do you, uh, cause I was, you know, you get into right. the ears and the eyelids and that kind of stuff. Like I didn't want to fool with that. Is that generally right. what you recommend unless oh, no, somebody no, really knows what they're yeah. doing? No, I, I, we want the, we want the hide with the head attached. That's, that's okay. how we want it. You know, with that couple okay. inches of neck to measure with that, we can get that head measurement. We want all that attached. That's something that we want to skin ourselves okay. for sure. hundred percent. And then, um, as an aside to that, actually this year, moving forward, I did it last year for the division of wildlife. Um, you know, because of the concern of chronic wasting disease in Ohio, they have been reaching out to processors and taxidermists across the state, and they've been having us take samples. Um, we're actually removing the lymph nodes from inside the neck, just under the jaw, and, you know, we're identifying that animal and where it was harvested and who harvested it and everything with the consent of the hunter and preserving it, and their biologists have been taking that, and they've been testing around the state. Um, I did 25 samples for them last year, and I'm going to do as many as I can possibly do for them this year. So I need that head. You know, I, I need everything intact with that few inches in order to do that. And I would encourage any of your listeners out there that are going to take a, a buck this fall. They just they want just want bucks. But, you, you know, if you can find somebody that's going to do that kind of sampling, you know, this is something that we're all in it together to try and keep out of the state or at least keep minimized once it does get here. And, yeah. you know, this is the first line of defense. So, but, you know, that's, that's just another reason why I want that whole head and neck, because if I can, if I can get the hunter to consent to let me take those samples and give them to the division of wildlife, you know, hopefully we never hear from them again about it because it came back negative, which is what we all want to hear. But, you know, in the instance that it does get into the wild population, we obviously want to know as soon as possible. Now that that leads me to two questions. If somebody wanted to say they're not having a, a mount done, but they huh? want to help the cause, is there a DNR resource that people could say, "Hey, I'd like to submit my deer for sampling," or would they just bring it to a taxidermist that is participating in that and have them take that lymph node out? but not do the mount? Is there a way for somebody that's not having a mount done to participate in that? My, I, I guess my recommendation for that, because I can't give you the, the specific answer, would just be to contact your district wildlife office. You know, our case is District okay. 3 in Portage Lakes. I would call them and, and talk to a biologist, because I do think that they do, um, they are willing to do sampling. I, I know last year we had a customer it was after I had got my 25 samples that they wanted, but we had a guy locally in Medina County who was a biology teacher and he knew about this, this chronic wasting disease sampling. And he was very emphatic that he wanted his deer tested because he actually wanted to make it part of his biology curriculum at his high school, which I okay. thought was fantastic. So yeah. he specifically, and he wanted the buck mounted, but he actually called them to find a taxidermist in the area that was doing the sampling so that he could take it specifically to them. And okay. he ended up bringing it to us. So, you know, so we've, we've dealt with that, but if it's just a deer, um, like I said, I, I, I know they were working with taxidermists and processors. So, you know, perhaps there's a processor out there that you could find, or 
they would just tell you to bring it to one of them or send a biologist out. I can't give you a concrete answer on that, but your, your local district wildlife office would definitely be the best place to contact for that. Okay. So then my second question related to that is in these, because they, they've had some of these uh, surveillance areas, um, if a guy, you know, where they've got some, some testing requirements, mm-hmm. if a guy shoots a deer in that area, how does that work? If, if you know, they take it, because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I guess I don't know really what I'm asking because I've not taken one to have it sampled, but right. I know they're going to cut into the neck to get the lymph node out. I guess maybe the way that would work is they would take it to a taxidermist within that sampling area and the taxidermist would handle that. Or can you guys repair that incision where the DNR has taken a sample if they take it through the hide? Hey, you're, you're digging deep here. That's an excellent question. And that's not a scenario that, you know, I've come across, um, I think it's, it's only been what a couple of years that they've had yeah. mandatory testing areas and it just, it hasn't fallen into our lap where we've had one that actually came out of that area. So I don't know what their protocol is for that, where they have the mandatory testing. If it was a deer that you want to get mounted. Um, I certainly, if I were the hunter and I had a deer that I wanted to take to the taxidermist would, you know, be pretty hesitant to let them make those kind of cuts where they need to make them to get those lymph nodes out okay. because it would be extremely difficult to repair an incision right there at the throat. Um, so I, you know, I'm, I'm assuming they have something set up. Um, and that, that's another one of those things where if you're in that surveillance area and it's mandatory and you kill a deer that you want, um, you know, contact the, your district office, contact your local game warden, and, and find out how they do that before it even becomes an issue would be my okay. recommendation. Yeah, Jason, I, I believe you have to still take your deer to the, the check station, and then they give you a receipt that you have to take to your taxidermist. They don't do anything there, but they give you a receipt to take to your taxidermist okay. that tells your taxidermist that they have to remove those lymph nodes. Ah and leave them, you know, basically call the ODNR to come pick them up. Okay. Okay, well, there you go. That's, yeah, that, that sounds like a, a good solution to that problem. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that works. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so and then I, I guess the other, the other maybe cut, maybe we talked about it, maybe we didn't, but we've made, you know, uh, down the legs, into the armpit, mm-hmm. back to the, the field dressing incision, Right. And then I guess from there you can go around, just around the rest of the body then and start, unpeel, you know, skinning the hide right. down. Yeah. And I recommend that, you know, don't try and cut the back half off and think that you've left enough for a shoulder mount because it, it does take more. So skin the whole deer down from the rear legs all the okay. way and then, you know, make that neck cut and, and just bring the whole thing to your taxidermist, let them take it off where they need to take it off. Okay. Um, we, we get a lot of them that the guys will, you know, they'll do a good job skinning it, but then once it's off of the deer and it's just laying there, it, it's very deceptive what is where anatomically, and it's, it's best just to let us take what we need and, okay. you know, bring the whole hide to us. Okay. So the other thing that I, I guess I didn't, do wrong but i made it harder on myself because i didn't know what i was doing was 
I didn't, I didn't, I thought you made the incision at that hairline, but I wasn't sure what to do in the armpit. And so I ended up skinning the hide down, taking the shoulders off and basically taking the, the, the shoulder out of the hide, like a sock, like I didn't make, I didn't split that leg, you know, and it it was, it it made a bunch more work for me, but you I was just, nervous yeah. that I was going to screw it up. <laughs> yeah, you just made things harder on yourself. You didn't do yeah. anything to hurt the, the deer for the mount. I mean, that's that's another option that you could go with. But, it, I mean, you can attest then if you did it that way. And we get several a year that guys do that way because they're, you know, they're afraid of of screwing that hide up. And yeah. obviously you've, you've obviously protected that in terms of cutting anything off that shouldn't be cut off. But, yeah, you... You know, that's a lot of work to do it that way. Yes, it is. Yep. Yes, it is. (laughs) Especially if it's cold and stiff at all, it just really, you really fight with it. (laughs) We've actually, we've gotten, we've gotten deer in before where the guys were so afraid to make any incision where they would actually separate the front shoulder at the shoulder blade and bring us a hide, a skin deer with the whole front quarters, essentially. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, you wow. know, then you're in a situation where like, well, just wait here, buddy. I'll go ahead and give you these quarters because you don't want to waste <laughs> that, that meat. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, appreciate you being cautious. Yeah. But once again, you've made a lot of extra work for yourself. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So say you make a cut or cut and don't leave you enough hide. Um, mm-hmm. Then what? Is that where you go and get? you know, a hide from another deer from a processor or then is it a neck mount or, you know, what are your options then? A neck mount is an option. Um, they still make them on a, a personal preference level. I just don't think they look nearly as good as a full shoulder mount. But like I said, that all comes down to personal preference. We have some guys that actually like the neck mounts and that's okay because it's, you know, it's whatever the guy wants. Um, Depending on how they have done the damage or where the cut is, like I said, some things can be repaired, but might be slightly noticeable. Um, You know, there's a threshold where we just won't do it, of course, because it's not, even if we could do it, we won't because it's not going to reflect the quality of work that we like to put out. Um, But some things can be pieced back together and then some things, yeah, it's, it's time to discuss putting an, uh, putting a spare hide on it. Um, It it just depends. You know, if, if the pieces, most of the time, what we tell a guy, you know, the biggest area to screw up is in those armpits around the brisket. And, you know, most of the time we tell the guys, if the pieces are still there, we can put them back together. You know, it might, it, depending on the, the thickness of the hide, you know, the hair, what time of season it is, the incision might not be as easy to hide, but you know, if you're adamant mm-hmm. that you want your hide back on your deer and it's all there, it can be sewn. But, you know, most of the time, if it's, if it's cut off, we just, we'll get you a spare cape. So. Okay. Okay. So we've basically gotten the hide safely and in good shape to the taxidermist now. Now, the next thing I want to talk about, because this was another thing that uh, caught me off guard and in my experience was, so you've got some choices to make when you get to the taxidermist right there's choices which way do you want the the deer to be looking do you've got all these different poses and things and so Mm -hmm. can you kind of talk us through that or how do you when 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 a when a customer walks into your shop 
how do you help guide them through that decision? Because, you know, it's uh, again, I, I hadn't even thought about it. I walked in there and right. it was like, well, what style mount do you want? And it was like, <laughs> right. uh, I don't know. What are my choices? You know, and so they've got posters and catalogs and, you know, or, or mm-hmm. the display room, you know, and right. got some decisions to make. So so how do you help people make those decisions? What we like to do, obviously, I mean, we have the, the showroom and, you know, we've tried to do basically every position that we offer as far as, you know, there are the turns like you had mentioned, but there's also neck position, uh, full upright, like an alert deer, uh, semi sneak, which is kind of down full sneak, which would be straight out. And then you've got the turns, you have your choice in how you want the ears. I mean, if you've ever watched a deer in the field, their ears are never in the same position at any given time, unless they're at full alert. So you've got the, the forward ears, the, the back ears, there's aggressive ears. There's, there's so many different options as far as stuff yeah. like that goes. Um, for the customer, the first thing we ask them is if they know where they're going to hang the deer. Um, depending on what wall you're putting it on and what room, that has a lot to do with where you, which way you would want it turned. You know, I try and keep my heads in, in my showroom facing the entrance. So, you know, if they're on the right wall, when you come in the room, you want them turned to their left. So they're kind of looking towards that entryway. Uh, that's not always necessarily the case though, because say you have a couple of bookend deer that you've got hanging, you know, over, I'll say a fireplace, but we'll get into that later about why you shouldn't do that. But, uh, you know, say you've got them hanging on a wall in a cabin that's kind of a centerpiece and you want them turned facing each other. Uh, that's an option. Uh, there are uh, uh, aggressive forms where they kind of have their head down like they're posturing to fight. There, there's just there's so many different things. Uh, we just, you know, like I said, we try and ask the customer, you know, where are you going to hang it? Maybe what was that deer doing right before you took it? Is Does that play into how you want it positioned? And our my personal preference, and I'll, I will tell guys this, is I, I'm just not a fan of the just full alert looking straight on because as a taxidermist to me that just looks like a deer mount and our job is to try and make them look like they are alive on the wall so putting a little bit of a turn to it a little bit of a tilt to the head cocking one ear back maybe or both or you know just just little variations like that give it more of a lifelike appearance but if if a guy says nope it's going right in the center of the wall in my hunting cabin and i've had that spot picked out for years and i want it straight up with years forward that's that's fantastic that's an excellent choice okay that's that's just that's personal preference stuff but like i said there's just a little bit to it in terms of if you know where it's going or what you want to do with it or or how how you envision that deer you know we'll try and help you look at options that make it come to life in the way that you think that it should look And, and and the best way to do that is just to have examples in front of the customer, which is what we try and do. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting that you mentioned, you know, which, which way was the deer or how was it standing or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, how do you remember it in the field before the shot or whatever? Cause that's actually what my, my father-in-law does. He, you know, he said, Oh, I like to do them. You know, if they were looking to the right when I shot them, that's like, I want to sort of remember that snapshot, you know? And I thought, Oh, that's, kind of an interesting yeah. you know because again after my sort of deer in the headlights like i don't know which way i want it to look at you know it was, right. 
he he offered that up. I said, oh, that's kind of a an interesting idea. You know, that's kind of cool. But yeah, okay. So so now I'm curious. You mentioned the fireplace. What's what's yeah. uh, what are the what are the concerns with uh, hanging a mount near a fireplace? Okay. Yeah. All right. So we've gone through all of these steps here. You know, you've you've taken it. It's mounted. It's ready to come home. You, you know, you picked out your mount. Taxidermist calls. It's done. It's time to go get it. How do we keep it looking as good as we can for as long as we can? Like I had stated at the beginning of our conversation, you know, I've got we've got mounts that we did when we first got into business that I would defy anybody to identify as older than the ones that we did last year. And that comes down to how, you know, you as the the hunter, the harvester of the deer, the the holder of the trophy are going to take care of it once you get it home. And the recommendations that we give to every customer as they walk out of our shop is for one, avoid when you're transporting it, doing anything that will disrupt the patterns of the hair as they are on the mount. Uh, we talked a little bit ago about a deer's hair being hollow, and if you're handling it too aggressively or you just grab it by the neck, you squeeze it, you thrust it up into the car or something like that, that hair breaks off, that hollow hair breaks backwards. It's difficult, if not impossible, to get it to lay back down properly once it's set on the shoulder mount. So we carry them by the antlers. We'll, we'll give them a guide point down around the brisket, and, and we carry them that way. We lay them down on the back when we're transporting them, uh, you know, just get them home that way. Obviously some hair is going to get a little bit disrupted. Once we get it up on the wall, a damp cloth, just damp with water and you just follow the hair patterns and you wipe it down. And that's the same thing that we recommend for as far as keeping it clean goes. Obviously this is something that's going to collect dust and cobwebs. It's just a natural magnet for those kinds of things. And it's just yeah. that damp cloth and you just follow those hair patterns. But getting back to the fireplace, the two biggest killers of the longevity of a shoulder mount are ultraviolet light and smoke. Uh, there's okay. just there, there's literally nothing we can do to keep a deer looking good years and years down the road if it's subjected to the smoke from a fireplace, uh, whether you're a smoker or not, or if it hangs somewhere where it's getting a lot of direct sunlight through a window day in day out that's it's it's gonna fade there's nothing you can do to do to stop that so you know those are the kinds of things to bear in mind beforehand you know if you're gonna put a deer on the wall you might want to look at a spot and say okay this is the spot uh huge drastic variations in the relative humidity of the room they won't necessarily destroy one but they could cause you know some shrinking some cracking in certain areas uh if they're subjected to that but yeah the the smoke the sunlight, those are those are definitely things that you want to avoid, and then just keeping it keeping it clean with that rag. We use a product. I, I will give away a little tip here that you know is a trick of the trade, but I'll go ahead and <clears throat> share that. We use a product called Cowboy Magic, and they used to market it as a taxidermist project or product called Taxidermy Magic, but now it's just the Cowboy Magic, and you can find it, I believe, in most tax shops. What it is, is it's for spraying show horses. They spray them down with this. It's just in a spray bottle. You spray it on a show horse. It gives them a nice sheen, uh, a real lively look, and it's kind of a dust repellent. So as part of our finishing process, every deer before we send it out, we spray down 
and, and brush that stuff in there real good. So it makes it that much easier to keep the dust off of it when you go to wipe it down, but it's, it's a readily available product. And if a guy out there has got a mount that he wants to kind of revitalize a little bit, it's easy to find and you're not going to hurt the mount. Just go out there, spray it down, always be wiping with those hair patterns and then it'll give, it'll give an old mount new life. Is that safe to put on the antlers as well? Yes. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Okay. And I do. I spray it. I spray the hide. I spray the antlers. I, I work it into the antlers real good. It, it gives them a nice kind of looks like they just got done rubbing type deal. It doesn't overly shine them to where they look like they're varnished or polyurethane yeah, yeah. or anything like that because you definitely don't want that. But it just, you know, it, it gives it, it, it takes away that dullness that comes with not being used anymore. So that would, that would, uh, I'm thinking that might be a good sort of pro tip for sheds too. If you had, you know, sheds that you want to kind of revitalize, that would work for those as well. Yeah. Yeah. It absolutely, it absolutely would. You could spray down your sheds with that and and wipe them down and and that would help, you know, keep them from getting that dull look. Okay. So that's, uh, the, the, you know, where to put them and and how to care for them at home. That's one thing I've done right. It's mine Mm -hmm. is in my, my finished basement. So it's out of the UV and it's nowhere near, we, you know, we don't smoke. We, we, Mm -hmm. uh, it's nowhere near fireplace. So I'm doing, I I got a, I got a gold star for that. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. That's where I'm, like I I told you, that's where I'm sitting right now. That's my showroom. I've got six of my heads down here. And, uh, you know, they, they keep looking great because they're just not exposed to those harsh outdoor elements or the smoke or things that can get to them that, that do that damage. Awesome. So, um, you said when you're bringing them home, it's safe to carry them by the antlers. Then those are on there securely enough at that point to, to yeah. carry them by the antlers. Okay. Yeah. Any form manufacturer, no matter who you use, um, what the form is, is just, here's a little bit of that behind the scenes stuff for you. It's, you know, it's a, it's, it's not styrofoam, but it is a foam, a urethane based foam. And they actually, uh, put a plate, uh, a plywood, heavy plywood, and it's built into the mount. It's molded around it. So it's in there. And that's what you attach the antler cap to because the skull is not used. The skull plate is used. The antlers are still attached to the skull plate. Okay. but you don't actually use the skull, but it is, it's buried down in there to where it can take the full weight of that mount. And, you know, a mount is not that heavy because you're talking about that urethane foam and that hide. So, uh, another hanging tip, you know, once you get a home and your taxidermist will tell you what they recommend you do, but as long as you find a stud and you've got like a two and a half inch drywall screw in there and they use a good quality hanger on the back of it, it's all you need. Um, okay. so yeah, you, Carry it, carry it by those antlers and, and keep your hands away from that hair in the neck area so you don't do any damage to that. You know, once you get it home, get it hung up, get the hair set with that damp rag, and you're good to go. Awesome. Well, this has uh, been a really, really good conversation. I've learned a handful of things, and I'm, I'm sure our listeners are going to get a lot out of this. So thank you. Again, Good. absolutely. For Thanks time. for having me. Like I said, I really appreciate it. And it, you know, to me, it's, it's, it's about just sharing the word and trying to make sure that everybody gets the best product they can. And you know, that I, like I told you on the phone earlier, we're all in this together as sportsmen and you know, we've got to look out for each other, no matter what we're doing, whether it's in the field or in the taxidermy shop or at the processor, 
we're we're a brotherhood and we have to take care of each other. I believe that strongly. Here, here. Yep. Yeah. So we mentioned it at the beginning, Kaismore's back to nature taxidermy. Um yep. I know you, you said you're you're you got plenty of work, but if, if people are interested um and they want to bring a deer to you, how do they how do they get in contact with you? What's the best way to, to get your info? Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Kaismore's Back to Nature Taxidermy would be the best way. Um, uh, aside from that, uh, we're just a word of mouth here in Northeast Ohio in Portage County. Um, we keep business cards in the local processors and shops. Um, if you're in this area and you've got a friend that's got a mount, chances are he probably might know who we are because, like I stated, this has been a family business for 25 years. Uh, my mom and dad are both retired from full-time jobs um, and I still work a full-time job and we just we do it together uh, we have almost like an assembly line type process to how we do it and we are able to take those 200 deer that we do and we turn them around in three to five months every year um, and you know some guys will tell you well that's too fast they can't be doing good work but like I said because we're working so many hours through the winter and each one of us has kind of our own area expertise and we kind of keep each other in check and we can kind of pick things that, you know, the other ones missed maybe. And we're all specializing in something. It is, it's, it's like an assembly line and we just, we keep moving. We don't stop working from the time season opens until we've got the last head out the door. Um, in my mind, my philosophy is no guy should have to wait until while he's hunt, he shouldn't be sitting in the tree stand wondering if his buck from the last year is done. That's, that's our philosophy, but we also still want to put out the highest quality product that you can find anywhere. And I'm, I feel really good that we do. And the number of repeat customers that we have year after year. And the fact that our word of mouth business keeps us as busy as we can possibly be, I think kind of reflects that. So. Yeah. You just blew my mind Man, at I'm... three to five months. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. We, we take them, you know, we, we try and do them as what we do is we, through the rut, through gun season, we are strictly in receiving mode. We are taking those deer in. We are processing paperwork. We're making sure that hides get stored properly, you know, with that customer's name, that antlers get put where they need to be. But once we get through that rush of gun season, it's time to get the first load of forms and, and we start cranking deer out. Uh, you know, usually sometimes I will admit that depends on whether or not my dad and I have our buck tags filled, how soon we get to working on them. But uh, Hey, we're, we're all hunters. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of sitting here in shock because mine, they told me 12 to 14 months and it ended up being closer to two years on mine yeah, you know, we're like i don't know if i'm ever getting this thing back <laughs> yeah yeah our goal every year is to be done and have them all out of the shop by roughly the first of june my dad who like i said is retired from a full-time construction job is a big time lake erie walleye fisherman and okay. once he gets the itch to be on the lake it's he wants to be done with the deer and <laughs> and you know i mean it is it's summertime you don't want to be in the shop working and that's why yeah. You know, that's another thing that enables us to do that is we are pretty specific to game heads. We'll do a few elk every year, maybe a moose here or there, depending on what we, we get and a mule deer. But we we focus, we, we've done the, the full body coyotes. I, I've done just about anything that is a North American mammal at some point or another. But 
like I said, the fact that this is kind of a project of passion for us, we're good at whitetails and we just try and stick to that. Okay. Yep. Awesome. Well, this is, and been... I encourage you guys to come visit us. Like I said, um, you know, I know we're not too far from where you are and, yeah. Uh, once the rut's in full swing and we start getting some really impressive heads coming through the shop, I, I, our doors are open and you're more okay. than welcome to come pay us a visit. Yeah, we'll have to do that. We'll have to swing by and yeah. say, hey, that, that would be cool. So, all right. Well, again, thank you. This has been this has been really good. I, I know our listeners are going to get a lot of value out of this. So thank you. Good. That's, that, that was my goal. So I hope I achieved it. Awesome. Well, take care and good luck this season. Okay, same to you guys. All right, so there you have it. Like I said, I learned a lot in this one. I really enjoyed this conversation. I want to thank Dustin again for taking time to talk to us and bringing us this this content. I think it'll help people, help hunters get good quality taxidermy, whether you're using their their shop, Back to Nature Taxidermy, or any other shop. Right? There's information in this episode that will help you, regardless of who you use, help you find a good taxidermist and get the most out of your product because taxidermy is not cheap and you want to get a good product, you want to have a good end result, and you want to preserve that memory and that hunt and the that animal as best as you can. So thank you, Dustin, and Hopefully, you guys, if you're in the area and you're looking for taxidermy, you'll check them out. Another request I'll make is uh, share this with your friends. So if they're not already following Ohio Huntsman, tell them they should be. And send this episode to them. Because like I said, there's, there's information in there for everybody. If they're a hunter and they've ever thought about taxidermy, this episode is for them. So share it with your friends. Take a screenshot of you listening to this, you know, when you're listening on your phone. Take a screenshot, share it to your Instagram story, tag us, share it to your Facebook feed, whatever. Tag us so that we know you enjoyed the content, and uh, we would really appreciate that. We can repost that and let others know that you're enjoying that content, and that way the show continues to grow, and we continue to reach more people, and the community continues to grow. So... The only other thing I'll ask is check out our website, ohiohuntsman.com. That's where all of our content is housed now. And follow us on both Facebook and Instagram. We are Ohio Huntsman on Facebook and Ohio Huntsman underscore podcast on Instagram. Always posting new articles, things you guys need to know about, and just kind of fun goings-ons on Instagram stories. So... Check us out in all those places, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.